You are listening to the Baseball in the Burrows podcast, where myself, Tyler Smith, and Noah Broderick talk about baseball with a pretty bad microphone. Time to listen to a 20-second GarageBand clip to make the transition into the episode a little less awkward. Welcome back, everybody, to the Baseball and the Burrows podcast. This is episode 28. At the time we're recording this, the majority of the wild card round uh, series of playoff games are, have concluded. We have the Chicago Cubs and the Miami Marlins right now playing in that uh, game two, I believe. Um, it was canceled yesterday at the time we're recording this. We're recording this on a Friday, so uh, we have plenty of stuff to break down. I kind of feel bad. I feel like every episode we're switching up the format. Last time, me and Noah were both recording through Anchor. Uh, the time before that, it was just Noah recording from his phone. The time before that, we were in person. Right now, I'm back with my mic. I'm out of isolation, and Noah's back at school right now. So before we get into all our playoff stuff, first of all, Noah, how are you doing? Um, <laughs> I'm actually doing great, man. And not good, man. This time, great. Uh, because all these playoff games have been awesome. I think the biggest takeaway that I've had from this expanded playoff format is that while I don't really love it going forward because I think it takes away from the integrity of a regular season in a weird 60 game season like this, having eight playoff games on Wednesday, like that was just awesome. You know, every time, you know, I get back to the dorm and I put on a channel, you know, there's age white Sox are on this channel or you got Houston and the twins are on ABC. Then I've got, you know, Padres Cardinals playing. I got my Yanks playing later. So it's just, it's been a lot of fun this week uh, to watch all these teams go out there and play. And us as baseball lovers, I think it's been really, uh, really fun for us because this is something we've never really experienced before. Usually in the playoffs, you know, you've got two games at night and sometimes they're even going out at the same time. So you've kind of really just invested in one game and then you're watching the highlights of the other. But here, you know, they've kind of done it March Madness style where they have it, um, you know, one an hour or one every other hour. And, um, you know, we've been able to stay on top of it and watch a lot of good baseball. I think uh, the fans, not having the fans has made a little bit of a difference. It hasn't really been as electric as it might be in the past. But for the most part, they've done a really good job. So um, I, I take it you're enjoying it, too. Yeah, so I'm in agreement with you. I think personally for baseball, just the 162-game season, you know, how long the season is. I like the format that they have currently or I shouldn't say currently I should say like 2019 and before you know the one game wild card in the American League National League the division series just like that I think that's the best system just because you want to get the good teams in there I was saying before how it's kind of annoying to me that the Astros are advancing because a team under 500 they're cheaters no one wants to watch them succeed playing against one of the best teams in the American League or so we thought the Minnesota Twins and all of a sudden the Astros win two series or two games in the series because the Twins couldn't get that big hit, and now we have a team under 500 in the American League Division Series, which is a little weird, but I think like you said, in a 60-game season with all the craziness that's going on, the injuries, the guys having COVID stints, I mean, a team like the Cardinals who played like five games three weeks into the season because they had an outbreak, however that works, I think it's okay now, but personally, I would not like to see this moving forward, but um, at the same time, dude, four or five, six baseball games on all day from 12 o'clock. Like, I'm a late waker-upper. Um, I think that's pretty obvious to you. And anyone who knows me, I'm waking up 12, 1 o'clock. So the fact that I wake up and have morning baseball on is very weird. But at the same time, it's pretty awesome. Uh, this is the day I look forward to. Um, 
during the regular postseason formats, like that first day of October when you have, you know, all the ALDS games on and some of the NL games on and then vice versa the next day. I think this first week or two of baseball is awesome. And as two big fans of baseball, we couldn't ask for any more right now. Favorite series to pay attention to? Um, Because for me, I've been like really into these Padres-Cardinals games just because it's like the Padres' first time in the postseason seeing like Tatis and Machado last night. Like I was locked into that game. I didn't think I'd be watching that game start to finish, but I watched that entire game. What's been like the series that's really been like fun for you to watch and that you're really into? So I talked about it in the last podcast. I really like the Cleveland series against the Yankees just because I think you and I both, you for obvious reasons, we wanted to see which version of the New York Yankees we were going to get. We wanted to see if we had the Yankees that couldn't really hit, get that big hit um, with runners on base or whatever. We saw that happen all the time in the playoffs last year against the Astros, for example. Now, granted, the Astros have a ton of good arms, and they had a ton of good arms last year. Cleveland's similar, but as we saw in game one, two pitches in, the Yankees are up 2-0. And I think that kind of tells us how the Yankees are going to be, how they were in that series, and how they should be against the Rays coming up, which we'll get into plenty later. I really like that series. And then... You know, my Cincinnati Reds, I was in on that series, and not just because I'm this Cincinnati Reds homer, just because I was on the bandwagon. I really wanted to see the Braves come out and play good baseball because if you look at the last few years, they've been probably one of the three or four best teams in baseball, give or take. They've won the National League, uh, the National League East. And you look at the roster top to bottom, their lineup's great. They have great bullpen arms. Their starting pitching's been really good, even though Soroka's out. And I wanted to see what kind of uh, Atlanta Braves team we would get. And that first game I'm going to talk about in a second, they didn't do anything. But uh, they went up 5 nothing late in game two. They swept. Their pitching looks awesome. And I really just want to see how – I think the Braves are the only team in the National League that can really compete with the Dodgers. I know you said you're big on the Padres, especially if they can get past the Cardinals today in game three. But I think this Braves team is very good. And obviously the Mets have played them a ton. I've seen them. And especially with guys like Ozuna kind of breaking out and the pitching being really good. Uh, I'm really looking forward to watching the Braves moving forward. So that was the team that I was looking at the most, or that series at least against the Reds. Yeah, going to Ozuna, man. I mean, he's a guy I think that we talked about a lot in the offseason as somebody who could really transform a lineup. And I think what we saw in this series with the Reds is that he's capable of being that big right-handed stick behind Freddie Freeman to get a lot of big hits and to kind of propel that offense to the next level. Um, they were the best offense in the National League this year, uh, granted, short season. Um, but, you know, they obviously, obviously have the makings of being one of the top offenses in the league across a full season. And Ozuna kind of went back to his 2017 form when he was with Miami, and um, he had a lot better of a season than he was, you know, having with St. Louis these previous couple of years. And I think over the offseason, we were really expecting him to kind of return to this caliber player. We were clamoring for our teams to maybe sign him, even though we didn't really have a need for him. Um, and he had a big season, he had a big series here, getting a big hit off a big arm. Um, so do you think that Ozuna can kind of be the guy to carry them in some of these games and carry them in series where they previously wouldn't have won, just being that anchor in the lineup behind Freeman? I mean, I think he absolutely can. You look at his numbers this year in 2020, 18 home runs, 56 RBIs. He hit 338 on the year. Uh, he had a 1067 OPS. He walked more than he ever has in his career. Uh, 179 weighted runs created plus. So that's the guy we kind of expected to see. I remember, uh, you know, when we used to first start talking baseball back in like the 16, 17 seasons, I remember watching Ozuna as a young outfielder in Miami with that. I mean, they had a surplus of young outfielders uh, or at least uh, star outfielders that uh, we were watching back then. And I always thought he was one of those guys that was going to translate and, you know, become a big time player. He moves on to St. Louis. And I think he was, 
in a way, I think he was kind of getting his feet wet, you know, playing in big games. You immediately go to St. Louis. They're pretty much a contender for at least their division and maybe even independent every year. And uh, we saw a good version of Ozuna. We didn't see the best version, but now you look at him this year. I mean, from that second game of the season, we saw him play against the Mets when Diaz threw him that good pitch that, you know, we watched together and he took it over the right center fence. Yesterday in the game, he got an inside fastball at 98 miles per hour. and He just turned on it and put it way up into the bleachers. So I think he's a guy that the Braves have needed. You know, you mentioned they had Donaldson last year, who was Donaldson, who was good, not great last year. Um, I think Donaldson's not as dependable, especially in a postseason series. You know, he's kind of all or nothing, especially when you face good hitting. But when you have a guy like Ozuna, who at 338 in 60 games, you know how baseball is a game of ups and downs, and he pretty much rode a hot streak the entire season, and I feel like that's going to carry over. So I think that's a piece in the Braves lineup that they badly need, especially if they want to contend with the Dodgers. So while we're on the topic of the Braves and the Reds, why don't we talk about that series, which was such a unique series. Uh, Game one, Freddie Freeman obviously walked it off in the 13th with an RBI single. Just some numbers from that game, uh, 37 strikeouts, which I believe is a historical high in the postseason. The Reds were one for 12 with runners in scoring position. The Braves were 0 for 9, so they didn't do much better. Uh, clearly that was a game of pitching. Bauer went seven, two thirds innings with 12 Ks. Max Fried matched him with seven innings pitch, no runs, five strikeouts. And then you go to game two, the Reds had two hits, 12 strikeouts. They left eight men on base and Luis Castillo had a good start. He was a guy that I kind of said was really important to them because he was up and down during the regular season. He went five and a third. He had one and run seven Ks. So he certainly did his part. And I know you wanted to talk about them and how bad they were this season and the postseason, the two games they played. That Reds offense, who I was saying I thought could match, they were really disappointing this season. Yeah, man. I mean, like yesterday I had a, a meeting with a Smeal alum, actually. It was a finance guy. And I told him about, like, my aspirations in baseball and obviously wanting to work in baseball and talking about a baseball podcast and everything like that. And he said, hey, if you get into baseball, please try to change the game because I can't take watching, you know, the product that it is right now. And I think that was a combination of – how slowly these games go and um, also just kind of like the feast or famine part of this game. And, you know, we've had so many strikeouts this postseason. You've seen it 19 walks in the Yanks Indians game the other day that went nine innings. You know, it was a four hour, 50 minute game, so many different pitchers, all these substitutions. I think that there's one thing, you know, baseball needs to work on and we've kind of beaten this, you know, debt to a debt, you know, beaten this dead horse already, but it's just these games are so long and we kind of have these three true outcomes of home run, walk, strikeout. And I think the Reds really, really are the epitome of that because in this series, they could not play small ball. And I granted, I'm not like Mr. Like get off my lawn, 65 year old man, like small ball is the way to go. You know, that's not how I am. I mean, I think hitting home runs is great. I'm in the launch angle. I'm in the new analytics. Um, so I'm not saying that you need to, be able or you need to be like a small ball team in order to win but you need to be able to manufacture runs sometimes and especially in october when it gets manufactured when everything's magnified uh, manufacturing runs is a really important thing to have i think yankee fans uh, who are listening to this can vouch for that you know we haven't really had that in the postseason in previous years um i think last year was the first year we kind of saw it happen because we had three players who are contact oriented players in lemayhu urshela and torres and i guess gardner if you want to throw him in there too um and you need guys like that. And, you know, the Astros have Altuve. Now, granted, you know, we know the cheating thing goes on, but these guys still can put the bat on the ball. And Gurriel, uh, these guys, you know, make contact, need to make contact. And ultimately that is really important in October. And the Reds offense, they just have nobody who's capable of doing that. I mean, Suarez is a feaster family guy. He strikes out more than anybody. Uh, Arstides Aquino is this big power bat. It's got a lot of swing and miss in him. Uh, he made some bad plays in the series. He was really bad in the series. 
Uh, Castellanos is pretty good making contact, but he also doesn't walk a lot. So, you know, you think, okay, he can play a little bit of small ball, but he's also not going to get on base too much for you. Uh, the Reds, I mean, Moustakis was nothing. Mono was no power. Uh, they just, I think they're more names at this point than they are production. That's kind of what I said to you when we were doing our playoff predictions and predicting how the series was going to go was uh, with the Reds, they haven't really had a team all year that you've been that impressed with. They've had the three pitchers, but they just don't have an offense that's capable of hitting big-time pitching. And in this case with the Braves, I wouldn't even call Max Fried and Ian Anderson big-time arms. I think they're good arms. I think Fried's definitely a very good arm. You know, they're probably – they're definitely above average, but they're not even the caliber of arms that they have on their own staff, and they couldn't get score a run. They didn't score a run the series. So I think the Reds have a lot of uh, things they need to work on, either from an internal philosophy standpoint and hitting, or you know, bringing in more players that are more capable of manufacturing runs. Because the offense that they have right now, I can never see them winning a World Series with those guys. I just, I just can't see it. Yeah, and I think you've hit it. You've hit the nail on the head with the Reds. Exciting team going into the season. I know we recorded my podcast segment saying they're going to run away with the National League pennant, and I was just backing their pitching. And certainly their pitching held up their end of the bargain. Yeah, they blew a lead in the 13th inning, but your bullpen shouldn't be pitching in the 13th inning. Ideally, a team in the that has you know aspirations of advancing in the playoffs and moving on to the National League uh, Division Series, you don't want your guys pitching in the 10th, 11th inning like that. But I think the X factor for the Braves, we know their lineup's very good. They play good baseball. They've played good baseball for a long time. Uh, in game two, you had, excuse me, Will Smith, Chris Martin, Mark Melanson, no hits through three innings. I know it's a product of the Reds offense, but at the same time, that's also, you know, all those guys being locked in. Their big thing is they're starting pitching. Like I said before, they lost Mike Soroka. They kind of have some names, you know, Max Freed pitched really well in that game one. But the only problem is when you start facing those elite offenses like the Dodgers, they're not going to, they're not going to be afraid of Max Freed, you know, whoever's behind him. They have a good bullpen. Um, I think that starting pitching scares me, but I mean, you look at this offense, Acuna was three for five with an RBI of Ozuna hit that monster shot home run. He was good all year. You have Freddie Freeman, who's a national league MVP. You have Ozzy Albies behind him. So I think overall this Braves team is looking really good. It's just that starting pitching scares me. And like, I've said this to you all the time. Like I'm no biased fan. I don't necessarily hate the Braves. I think they're a good team. They don't, the thing with me in sports and specifically baseball, if there aren't guys on another team that like just, you know, aren't cocky assholes, you know, throw their bats and show up and starting. No, I don't care about that, but like, you know, you know what I mean? Like a guy like Reese Hoskins, I hate for the stuff he's done against the Mets, like, you know, staring down Jacob Ramey, like the dude is a career minor leaguer and you're staring him down in the game in April. Like that's stupid to me. Team like the Braves, I have nothing but respect for them. They play baseball well. They've been around for a long time. They've been playing. And I think with all these divisions they've won recently, this has to be the year that they kind of put it together. Not that they're going to go anywhere, but, um, I'd certainly be afraid of the Dodgers if I were them because the Dodgers look like they're just going to continue to roll. Um, now, Azuna had hit a home run against the Mets in the playoffs, and uh, he he took out a phone. Or he didn't actually take out a phone, but he did like the fake uh, camera celebration. That wouldn't have pissed you off? I mean, it would like piss me off at the time, but I wouldn't hold it against him. Like, <laughs> no, I know the, what you mean. The thing is, like, you, I remember Jesse Winker, he like waved goodbye to Mets fans after like he caught a foul, like he caught a pop up in the ninth inning to end the game in like 2018. I'm like, dude, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, like, you're sick, dude. Like, it's, it's so cool. Like, I got a left fielder for the Cincinnati Reds is waving goodbye to one of my players. Like, that's whatever. But uh, nothing too much else to talk about Reds, Braves. Uh, I'm really looking forward to the Braves looking, uh, moving forward. Who would they play? Uh, do we know how that works in terms of the bracket? For the Marlins Cubs winner. So right now, right. as we speak, the Marlins and Cubs are in the bottom of the fifth inning. It is 0-0, game two. Marlins with the series 1-0. Schwarber's up with the bases loaded and two outs. 
Um, Schwarber has really, really struggled all season. He hit 130 in September, um, and he's not looking too good here. I mean, Sixto Sanchez was just blowing 98 mile an hour fastballs by him in his last at bat. It's one and two right now. And Castellanos drives one to left field. That's a home uh, run. Yeah, it's four, it's four <laughs> nothing Reds. So I have resigned. That's funny, dude. That, that's a funny trend. Everybody copying and pasting Tom Brennan and stuff. Yeah, it's 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 literally everywhere. Like you're talking about Trump testing positive for COVID nineteen. Someone was. Uh, they weave Nick Castellanos' home run into that. So I don't know, man. But um, not looking good for the Marlins right now. But they're a team real quick before we move on to Rays Yankees, which we're going to – bulk of our episodes going to be about that series. Very surprised by the Marlins this year. We said it last episode. I remember early on during the, the beginning of the season, we were like, look, this team's on a cool run. You know, half their team has coronavirus and they're winning baseball games. And I figured that was going to stop. And – you look at them, even that last series they played against the Yankees before the season ended. I mean, they just played good baseball. It's a Don Mattingly team. I've said it for a while. The Rays are well-coached. I know they don't have great players, but they're very well-coached. And you could see that they're base running, the plays they make in the infield, turning two, hitting with runners in scoring position, that kind of stuff. And looks like Schwarber's going to fly out here to left to end the inning. I'm getting a little bit of my commentary side in. But uh, what do you have in the Marlins? How do you feel about this series and them being up one nothing? Well, I picked Miami – uh, in three, thinking that they just – all the things that you just laid out, um, they just do a lot of things right for a team that doesn't have a lot of resources or a lot of big names. Um, in order to win in the postseason with that kind of team, you have to be able to do the little things right. Like you can't be giving away outs. You can't be making errors. Uh, you have to make pitches with two strikes like Sixto Sanchez just did, putting the changeup uh, down in the – outer part of the plate and getting Schwarber to hit at the left field for a weak fly ball. You have to get out of those types of situations. You have to have a couple balls bounce your way. Um, you have to be able to hit with runs to scoring position and turn double plays when the opportunity presents itself. Uh, take an extra base you know, on a ball and a gap. They just have to do kind of like the little things in order to be successful. But the Marlins have a lot of players who are capable of doing that. Uh, they've got a pretty good mix of veterans now and young players. I mean, guys like Jesus Aguilar have been around for a while. Um, you know, he's kind of in the middle of their order and has been their veteran. But they also have a lot of young guys like Brian Anderson and um, the shortstop, I'm forgetting his name, Jazz something, uh, the center fielder. They've got a young team. And um, I think they're just capable of doing enough to beat the Cubs. Now, that's not saying a lot because I think the Cubs are kind of like twins of the, uh, the NL to a degree, just like the way that they don't get big hits. Uh, if you look at their offense this year, Ian Happ was their only qualified hitter with an OPS over 800. They're just a really average team. Um, so I, I thought the Marlins, you know, just by doing a lot of the little things right and having a little bit of luck on their side and kind of having the mojo they've been riding, uh, could beat the Cubs. And right now it looks like that might happen. I mean, the Cubs can still win this series in three. They can get a big hit later from a guy like Rizzo who's done it before and forced a game three, and maybe they have the advantage there. But uh, the Marlins have done a really good job. Now, they would play Atlanta. Whoever wins this series would play Atlanta, and I think that neither of these teams are going to be able to hang with the Braves. I think the Reds were a harder matchup for the Braves, um, you know, given the pitching. Uh, so I think the Braves should be on their way to the NLCS. And, you know, as long as as long as long San Diego – I mean, if St. Louis beats San Diego tonight, there's no way we're not getting Dodgers Braves. Like, I think we can just pencil that in right now. Yeah, so, I again, I like this Miami story. I, I, at the beginning of the season, I wasn't too high on the Cubs. I remember just thinking, you know, since that World Series in 2016, that remarkable run they made, they've kind of just been – like treading water during most of the season. And and then, you know, the last week of the season, they turn it on, whether that's, you know, in the wild card or winning that division, that division has been somewhat solid, but this year kind of weak. I mean, you look at a team like the Cardinals, good, not great. The Brewers, not good at all. You know, they kind of just snuck in because they're a product of the format. Same with the Reds. 
Uh, so I like the Cubs, especially as the season went on. I mean, you look, you Darvish is putting up another zero. He's had probably the first or second best season of any pitcher this year. Him, DeGrom, Bauer, the three. So uh, we'll see how this game goes. Now, I think we need to move into our Rays-Yankees talk just because I know we have a ton of notes, a ton of stuff to talk about. Obviously, you do. This is a big series. Uh, just numbers real quick. Um, Rays, as a staff, their ERA is three five six. We know that their pitching is kind of what gets them everywhere. Uh, the Yankees have a four three five team ERA. Good, not great. Obviously, they have a ton of good arms in the bullpen, and any staff led by Garrett Cole is going to do something. Um, the thing with the Rays... They're 13th in OPS, 19th in hits, 12th in runs in uh, this 2020 season. Brendan Lowe, 916 OPS. Their next highest is Willie, or um, yeah, Willie Adamas at 813. And then Yoshi Susugo, didn't even know he was a player, but I'm sure you know who he is at a 708 average. This is of hitters with uh, 35 games played or more. So I think you look at this Rays team, and, and ideally you get their starting pitchers out early, and then you tax their bullpen because. If I were you, I wouldn't worry about their hitting uh, or their lineup, especially. You look at the Yankees, fourth and runs scored, fifth and OPS. They're a pure slugging team. Luke Voigt hit, what, 22, 23 home runs. You have Judge and Glaber, who are phenomenal postseason hitters. DJ LeMahieu is probably hitting every single baseball game he's ever played in his career. So I think this series is going to be a really good one, especially because of that raised pitching. But um, in terms of the Yankees, the key to success for them, they have to just, I think they have to get their starting pitchers out early because. Very good arms there. Obviously, you have Glasnow, who's had an okay year. You have Blake Snell, who kind of returned to form this year. Uh, Charlie Morton hasn't had the same kind of year we expect from him. Uh, all good pitchers, but I think the Yankees have to get to those guys early and tax that really good bullpen because now in a five-game series, you know, a team like the Tampa Bay Rays, eventually these guys are going to get tired. So uh, what are your takes on this series looking forward? Yeah, I mean, I feel I feel really good about it now. I think I said on the last pod that I thought if the Yankees show that they were – the team that they're capable of being in the Cleveland series and they beat them in two games and they did it pretty convincingly with their offense hitting everything Cleveland had because Cleveland stats really good. I, th- I said, I think the Yankees are going to go to the world series. Um, and that's kind of how I feel right now. I mean, we could just go through a Yankees game. One judge sets the tone immediately four pitches in Shane Bieber, AL Cy Young award winner this year, hundred percent takes him deep two runs right on the board, settles Cole into the game. You know, Judge is healthy. He's here. You know, this is everything that you want if you're a Yankee fan. Torres goes four for four in the game. Torres is, like you said, a 350 hitter in the postseason with an OPS over 1,016 career postseason games. Uh, Garrett Cole goes out and shoves. He strikes out 13, walks nobody. He joins only Tom Seaver as the only pitcher to do that ever in a postseason game. He's the first pitcher with multiple 12 strikeout and zero walk playoff games in his career. He obviously did it last year with Houston as well. And he's the first pitcher with three 12 strikeout playoff starts, period. And, you know, he's probably going to have more of those, maybe if, you know, not in this postseason than in years going forward. So when you have all those things going for you, you feel pretty good about your chances. Um, And I don't really read into anything that happened with Tampa Bay this year and think like, okay, we're kind of like the underdogs. Like I know they beat us eight out of 10 games, but I think that's just going to fire the Yankees up more because Tampa thinks that they're like, you know, they won the AL East and the big bad number one seed. And they, you know, think that they own the Yankees. I think the Yankees are going to try to show Tampa Bay, hey, we're still the Yankees. We're still the team that was supposed to win it coming into the season. You had a good 60 games. Congratulations. You know, you beat us. You play better than us. But now everything is equal. Now all those things are off the table. We're just playing five games in a neutral site to see who the better team is. Um, and if I'm a Yankee fan, I'm feeling really good. And I'm a Yankee fan, I'm feeling really good about this series. Uh, you know, they beat Shane Beaver, who's is just as good of an arm, if not better than anybody they're going to face in this series. Now, granted, Blake Snell is really good. Um, he hasn't been great against the Yankees historically. You know, we've got a lot of right-handed bats. Uh, so I think that we should be able to score a couple runs off him. 
uh, glass now we beat earlier in the season, but he also shoved against us in, in the Bronx. So, you know, you kind of don't know what you're getting from those two, but you also think that it's capable, you know, they're capable of winning those games. Um, I think the key to the series is really going to be if we can hit their bullpen at all, because their bullpen largely shut us down this year. Um, and granted, that was with a very compromised offense. We didn't ever have our nine guys healthy for these games. Um, and now we have all nine of them in the lineup. We have them not at Tropicana Field, which is a huge advantage for us because we just can't hit there at all. Um, and we're going to see them a lot. We're going to see them multiple nights. I mean, it's going to be five days in a row. They're going to bring out every last bullpen arm that they have. Um, and it's really going to depend on if our middle relief can keep us in those games and if we can hit their guys. And, um, you know, I feel pretty good. As a, as a Mets fan, as an unbiased fan, how do you, what do you think this series is looking like? Personally, I think... I like Tampa Bay winning a game in this series, but I think I could see Yankees winning that series 3-1. And I think that's largely due to the fact that I was looking at this a little bit before the um, before we started recording. You look in going into the ALDS last year, if I'm not mistaken, you had Paxton game one, Tanaka game two, Hap game three, if, uh, if that's correct. Well, Severino game three, not Hap. Severino game three, yeah. right. Okay, yeah. The first two. So, um and now you look into this series. I, I believe Garrett Cole starting game one, if I'm not mistaken. Boone went out and said that, which is huge. I don't think that's going to phase Garrett Cole. I don't think we're going to see a different version. When you have pitchers that are that good, they pitch on three days, four days rest. It doesn't matter. Um, going into a postseason series where, you know, you kind of got to match a team pitching. With all due respect to James Paxton, going in with Garrett Cole, maybe should have won the Cyan last year at a 2-8-4 this year. Going into a series with Garrett Cole and then having Masahiro Tanaka behind him, who's been a historically great postseason pitcher, and a guy in J.A. Happ who had a bounce back year this year as compared to 2019, who pitched well in the postseason for you guys last year in the uh, in the appearances he made. I think that's huge for you guys. Um, so I like that with the Yankees. And the reasons you laid out before, I mean, say what you want about Aaron Judge. The guy's an awesome postseason hitter. I remember in 2017 in that series against the Astros, the amount of sliders they were throwing him low and, uh, low and outside that they kept calling for strikes. That's got to be frustrating for a guy who's 6'8", 6'9", however tall he is. Um, one guy I wanted to talk about real quick in this series, let's say Tampa takes game one. All right. Or Tampa, Tampa takes an early, like two, one lead in the series or a one, lead, uh, one, lead in the series. And the Yankees offense struggles. Do you quickly pivot to Clint Frazier in the outfield, take out Gardner or Stan? I know Stan hit a couple home runs, uh, against the Indians in the series, but how quickly, if your offense is struggling, do you pivot to a guy like Clint Frazier? Just because you look at him this year, 149 weighted runs created plus. He had eight home runs in 39 games. He improved uh, from what you guys have said. I didn't watch a ton of him this year. He improved a ton in the outfield, it sounds like. I know that was a big problem with him. So do you think he's going to play a big part of the series? Because I know uh, in the series against the Indians, granted it was only two games, he didn't have much to do. I got to be honest, I don't see how he sees the field in the series unless we really, like you said, don't hit. Um, I think that they just trust Gardner in October if they trust you know San Diego's a pretty big park it's largely a pitcher's park he's gonna have a lot of ground to cover out there I think they just trust him to make a lot of plays out in you know in the gaps and never had Frazier did play well defensively this year that was a big story and I think it's the reason why they're probably going to pencil him in as the left fielder for next year um but in terms of a short series Tampa Bay staff is largely right-handed pitchers um and Boone's philosophy for playing Gardner over Frazier in this series was we like Gardner's defense, even though Frazier and Peru, we like Gardner's defense better. And they've got a lot of tough righties, and we think that Gardner, it's a good matchup for him. You know, he's good at hitting velocity. He played well in the Cleveland series. He ended up doing so. And he's got postseason experience. And he can kind of 
worked longer at bats than Frazier, I want to say. I mean, Frazier improved his walk rate this year, too, which is another big thing for him. But Gardner, I mean, every time he comes up, it's usually like a five or six play, or pitch plate appearance. And in the postseason, you know, when you're facing tough pitchers, you're trying to get them out of games, you're trying to wear them down, you're trying to get them to make a mistake. Uh, having a guy like that in the bottom of the order does a lot for an offense. And I think the same thing goes for Aaron Hicks, you know, another guy who, by, uh, you know, he hasn't really hit his stride in terms of hitting the ball <laughs> really that much, but he led the league in walk rate. He sees, you know, five, six pl- uh, pitches of plate appearance, maybe seven times. And having guys in the order who are, you know, switch hitter, left-handed hitter, um, and play defense better. I think it's going to be tough for Frazier to get on, you know, the field. And you mentioned Stanton. Stanton was probably our best hitter in that Indian series. I mean, really, like he in game two, uh, we're down four nothing. You know, we play in that weird rain situation. You know, they they start they have a rain delayed start, then they start at seven fifty, and it's basically a hurricane when Tanaka's on the mat at eight oh five. It made absolutely no sense. But we go down four nothing. Stanton comes up top second. Nobody on, you know, we haven't really, we look pretty bad against Carrasco, who's got a really good arm, 82 strikeouts, 67 innings. And Stanton hits a home run to right center field, 430 feet. And I think it just got the Yankees energized a little bit. It got him going. He also homered in game one. And then in game two, he had two huge walks. Uh, he had a walk in the inning where Gio Rochelle hit the grand slam. And then he had the leadoff walk in the top of the ninth when we were down one um, off Brad Hand. He took a lot of tough sliders, which are the pitches he usually chases. Um, and he just looks really confident, really locked in. He's always raked at Petco Park, too. He's from California. Um, I think, you know, when, when, he, when he was in the lineup against Tampa this year, our offense was better. Uh, he hit them pretty well, actually. So I, I think that Stanton's going to be really important for us to win this series. Um, because his presence in the middle of the order behind Voigt, giving Voigt some protection too, with all that Voigt did this year, like you said, leading the league in home runs. Um, having Stanton there healthy and in the lineup is going to be big for us. So I don't, I don't see Frazier seeing the field. Um, it's a good question, though, because you know a guy of his caliber deserves to play, and he's going to play next year, and if there's an injury, he'll play. If you know they're facing a lefty, I mean, he might start the Snell game. That, that could happen. I'm, I'm not entirely sure yet, but um, yeah, that, that kind of remains to be seen. Yes. Right, breaking news, breaking news. Bam Adebayo will not play game two. Did you hear that, Noah? Oh my God, really? He's not playing. Cool. That sucks. Do you want me well, to give? Do you want me to give you a quick moment to breathe? Or? Losing five games anyway. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Um, Maybe four. <laughs> yeah. So I just that the Frazier situation kind of reminds me a different version of Dom Smith last year. Whenever they had to call for him off the bench, he played great, but he didn't have a spot. You know, Pete Alonso has a historic year. And then you try to get Dom Smith some reps out with left field, and it's just not the same. But I think, like you said, next year, that position out there in the outfield is going to be his for the taking. Obviously, Brett Gardner, a 223 average this year. He's a guy that you just need to have in your postseason lineup. I think the other day, I forget if it was um, game one or game two, you had a big spot, you were down a couple runs. I want to say it was game two in like the seventh or eighth inning. Uh, and Garner drew a walk in a big at-bat, and I said, like, there's no one you want up in this situation more than a guy like Brett Garner or DJ LeMahieu. They're professionals. They've been in all the Yankees postseason runs recently. So in a way, that makes sense. I want to transition a little bit, still talking Yankees, and I want to talk a little bit more about the Indians. So with the Indians, we saw Francisco Lindor kind of not particularly happy with Cleveland's front office, and rightfully so. They asked if um, if he thinks that the Indians should, uh, should start spending some money because – you look at the guys that the Indians have produced and brought up and had throw this uh, in the past few years. I mean, you have Bauer, Clevenger, Kluber, Bieber all of a sudden. You have Francisco Lindor, one of the young stars of the game. I know he didn't have as good of a season as he would have hoped. Um, I guess this is kind of talking about uh, similar with the Yankees as well. You have a situation where Lindor's probably not going to stay. The Indians might not pay him because they don't spend money. 
And similarly, a guy in New York, you have DJ LeMahieu, who's been, you know, one of your best players, if not your best player the past couple of years. What do you think the Yankees do with their money in the coming off seasons, especially considering you have to sign Aaron, you have to sign Aaron Judge and Glaber Torres is a guy you'd probably like to pay? I knew that that's where this is going. Um, listen, man, I want Lindor as bad as anybody else does. I've wanted Lindor for a long time. I think a switch hitter like him and the personality that he has, putting him in the middle of our order makes a ton of sense. Uh, you know, him hitting in the Hicks spot, hitting third, and maybe moving Hicks down to seven would make our lineup even that more insane. But uh, at the same time, man, I think that the Yankees have to pay DJ LeMayu. They just have to. He's largely been a more productive player over the last two seasons than Lindor has been. Now, I'm not saying he's a better player, um, but for the money that you're going to pay LeMayu, uh, it's probably going to be, you know, $90 million versus Lindor being like $250 million. When you already have Stanton on the payroll, you already have Cole on the payroll, you're going to have Judge, like you mentioned, on the payroll. Torres eventually is going to have to get paid too. Um, you can't just have like four $300 million contracts. You know, it's just not feasible really. Um, now, granted, if there's a team who could afford it, it's the Yankees. But at the same time, I just don't see them doing that. Uh, so I think Lindor, it's more likely that he goes to a win-now team, like maybe like Atlanta for a year, and then he hits free agency, and then maybe – some other team. Hey, maybe even your Mets pay him and free agency. I don't know. We have a Met Rosario, um, future star. I don't know what you're talking about right here. And Andre Jimenez, too. Yes. I mean, that's good. I shouldn't lump him into that category. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I just – I don't I don't buy it with Lindor and the Yankees. I just – as much as I'd like to have him here, um, I think they have to pay LeMayhew. They also have to re-sign Tanaka this offseason. Um, and, you know, they've, they've spent a lot of money these last few years. I mean, they've spent a lot of money on Chapman, Britton, Cole, uh, Stanton, they've, you know, LeMayu is obviously going to have a new contract too when he signs. So Hicks got an extension. They, they just have a lot of money tied into their payroll right now. And I don't think they want to commit a lot of money to another position player long term. That's probably not their need. You know, I think even if you look at the Yankees right now, you'd probably still say their biggest need is another starter. Like if you wanted to, I'm not saying Trevor Bauer is an option. He's probably not for the Yankees, but a guy like Trevor Bauer, if you're going to go spend money on somebody else outside the organization, I think it would probably be another starting pitcher uh, rather than another position player. Um, but I think Lindor is out of Cleveland. I could definitely say it happened this off season. If not, I'd be shocked if it didn't happen by the trade deadline next year. Um, it's just, you know, with him, man, it's he he needs to go to a team that's gonna put stars around him. I think. I mean, he's got Ramirez there, but I think he needs I think he needs a new spot because Cleveland's not gonna pay him. Yeah, I didn't mean to. Honestly, I'm saying this 100 percent honestly. I didn't mean to ask you like if you think Lindor's an option for the Yankees. I just brought up. I wanted to ask you more about DJ LeMahieu and what he's gonna look like and what a numbers can look like for him with the Yankees because it's pretty much guaranteed they're gonna at least try to resign him. I only bring up. Um, I only brought up Francisco Lindor because of the comments he made to the media. I don't see it happening either. I know that's something we kind of joked about and talked about uh, at the beginning of the offseason last year with, uh, you know, our early podcast episodes. But I just want to know what you thought about with DJ going forward because you watch him play. I mean, he's just – he's one of the best pure hitters we've seen in the last several years. I mean, I know he won a batting title in Colorado, and I think he won the batting title this year in the American League at least, if yeah, I'm not mistaken. first player to ever do it in both leagues. Now, it's a shortened season, but – he pretty much almost won it last year. He only didn't because Tim Anderson did 100 and something less plate appearances. So, yeah, he's a special player. I, you know, I, I think the Yankees will pay him. I think the fan base will riot if they don't pay him. I think they see how important he is to the offense. Um, when you lead off a game with LeMahieu and Judge, it's like an automatic 11 or 12 pitches, and one of them is going to be on base. 
Uh, it's such a lethal duel at the top of the order. Um, I think they'll keep LeMayhew. He said he wants to stay here. Um, I don't see why he'd leave, considering he's had his best seasons with the Yankees, because I think largely, you know, the the uh, sorry, I just got confused. That Tyler's telling me that we uh, we're approaching our thirty minute mark. Right. Um, but yeah, the seasons that he's had with the Yankees and utilizing the short ports or being in such a stacked lineup with a winning team, uh, I think it's really rejuvenated his career, and he's been a great signing. DJ Mayhew is the guy that Yankees fans were mad at that they signed because they wanted Jed Lowry, who was the better signing at the time a couple years ago. And turns out Jed Lowry appears in like seven or eight games for the Mets on a bigger contract. And DJ LeMahieu wins a batting title and for all intents and purposes, probably the most consistent bat in baseball right now. Um, watching that game one, I mean, you have a guy take the best pitcher in baseball this year um, to right center, to right field for a base hit. You look over, he clocks, he's getting the bench going. Next pitch, Judge hits a home run. Any championship team or any team that wants to make any type of run in the postseason needs a guy like DJ LeMahieu, a table setter, a guy who gets on, who plays good defense, can probably play. Honestly, you put him out in the outfield, he'd probably play pot, like plus defense out there. I mean, the guy is just incredible. He plays baseball well. So, um, yeah, he's a guy you definitely need to bring back. I know another guy you want to talk about in the infield is Gio Urshela. I was watching the, uh, the nerd cast on ESPN in game one. And these guys were ripping Gio Urshela for how bad he was in Cleveland. I think he had, they showed the uh, like all time OPS in Cleveland or uh, no, it wasn't OPS. It wouldn't make sense. If it was OPS. So whatever the number was, he was like one of the four worst players of all time in the Indians franchise. And whatever stat it was, it was like OBP or something stupid, regardless. Um, then he gets traded. He goes to the Yankees and we've seen the same thing happen with Aaron Hicks. He blossoms into a really good player. He had a huge – I think it was a grand slam he hit. He made that huge play in game two where he dove to his forehand side and turned a double play, threw it from his ass. I mean, just this is another example of the Yankees just getting these guys that all of a sudden turned stars. Uh, you're the Yankee fan. You're invested in them more than me or 99% of people I know. So why don't you talk about Gio Urshela for us? Oh. I want to give credit to my dad because uh, last year, you know, we were visiting Clemson at the time and it was when we finally first had like our slew of injuries as a team and we were in Anaheim. The Yankees were in Anaheim and Urshela gets called up from Scranton and he plays third base and he hits cleanup in the game and he hits a game winning, he hits a home run and then a game winning, I think double in the 10th inning. And my dad was all in on this guy. You know, he looked like the part at third base. He looked like he could really pick it. And, you know, granted, we saw Andujar for the season before that. So, you know, seeing that was kind of like a breath of fresh air. And, um, you know, he had these really good bats of ball skills. And he also had the ball. He was impacting it. You know, he was hitting the ball hard. You know, he did it to the wall. And he would hit breaking balls. He did fastballs. He just made contact. He wasn't swinging and missing at all. And, you know, he kind of saw, like, hey, this guy – while he might not be a starter, he could probably stick on the team as a bench guy. And then as the season goes on, he just starts hitting homers and he starts making these web jam plays at third base. And he's kind of becomes one of our most important players. Like in 2019, the only three guys that stayed healthy really for the full season and were cogs in the lineup were LeMahieu, Torres, and Urshela. And these are all kind of the types of players that championship teams need. Uh, guys who don't strike out a lot and put the ball in play and, you know, at least in the case of LeMayu and Urshela, play really, really good defense. And um, I think having him on the team has just transformed us and really made us like a different – it just gives us a different element. You know, we had Todd Frazier, as much as we joke about him in 2017, then Andujar in 2018, we didn't really have a reliable third baseman uh, who on both sides of the ball could really impact the game. I mean, last year he had 314 with a, with a 132 weight to runs created a plus. This year, 298 with a 133 weight to runs created a plus. 
He's got power. He's not striking out really at all. Only a 14% strikeout rate this year. It's very low. Uh, walking at a 10% clip. Uh, you know, Hicks is one of the only guys in the league who strike or walks more than he strikes out. And Urshel is pretty close to that too. And LeMahieu as well. So, like, those guys, having them on the team is really valuable. And Urshel played as good of a game as he's ever played for the Yankees uh, in, on, on whatever night it was, Wednesday night, game two. Uh, the ball that he hit off – Karen check. I mean, Karen checks kind of like he reminds me of like Jonathan Papelbon a little bit. He comes into the game. He's got these outlandish strikeout numbers, you know, 54 strikeouts and 20 something innings. And he just looks like this absolute beast. And he's throwing 99 and he's throwing these nasty sliders that have, you know, really good vertical and horizontal break. And Urshela is just spitting on him. And he works the count to 3-2. And A-Rod on the broadcast, and A-Rod as much crap as we give him and, and as annoying as he can be sometimes, he's really smart. He knows exactly what pitch is coming in a lot of these situations. Pretty much tells us, you know, he's sitting dead red on the fastball. And Karinczak puts it 99 on the black in the lower part of the zone. And, you know, you either want to put it there or you want to put it up at the letters and get him to swing on top of it. And he puts it right in a good spot where Shella really can't, get his hands extended too much unless he completely meets it. And Urshela just beat him to the spot. And he hit that ball 430 feet. You know, it was a no-doubter. Really, really cool moment for him. And he's, you know, bat-flipping. And it was kind of like a Star is Born type moment, in my opinion. Uh, you know, a guy doing that in the postseason versus doing it in the regular season against some lesser teams. Um, you know, doing it off a big arm in a big spot where the team needed him to come through. Uh, he really had his, his breakout moment with the Yankees. And now – I'm all aboard the Gio Urshela train. I'm really looking forward to watching him in this race series. I think uh, against the race strikeout arms, he can make a big difference, you know, getting a lot of hits and keeping the line moving. And I'm uh, really happy for him. Because like you said, he was terrible at Cleveland. Like he was, he can never hit. All the scouts would always just say, is, if this guy could just hit league average, he'd be a really good player. And now he's hitting above league average. And the Yankees are looking at another guy. They have him under control until 2024. So I'm um, really excited about him. Yeah, so real quick, <clears throat> I know this won't matter when this podcast comes out because this game will be concluded most likely, but you Darvish was dealing six and two-thirds innings, six strikeouts, three hits given up, and with two outs in the seventh inning, Garrett Cooper just took him deep on a hanging curveball. It's now one nothing Miami in the top of the seventh. So uh, something we're going to monitor. I don't want to interrupt you for that. You know, there's still a lot of baseball to be played. You got like three at-bats left, three turns at-bat um, for Chicago. And I just Dude, you, you said you wanted to talk to your Rochelle. The guy had a great series, I guess you call it. So got to give credit where credit's due. Um, I thought I had something else I wanted to talk about with the Yankees real quick. First of all, uh, I don't want to spend too much time talking about Kyle Higashioka. He's Gary Cole's personal catcher now. We saw Gary Sanchez hit a big home run in that series. So what are your thoughts on the Yankees catching platoon? Do you want to see Gary as long as uh, Cole's not pitching? Or do you value Higashioka's defensive presence more than Gary's bat or his potential what he has in his bet exactly what you said i want uh, higashioka to catch cole because cole's been nasty with him on the mound he's been decent with sanchez but it's more important that cole is the ace rather than kind of like putting up solid lines you know you want him to put up the 324 million dollar lines and you shouldn't need higashioka to do that in theory but i don't care you know it's not like higashioka is costing us so much at the plate in comparison to sanchez at least this year where it's not worth it uh, so Higashioka catching Sanchez is fine. He can catch game one. He can catch game five in the race series. But I want Sanchez to play games two, three, and four, um, you know, if we get that far. Because Sanchez still um, has the ability to wreck a game. Uh, he still has a lot of offensive capabilities despite having a really down season and largely being a pretty frustrating and disappointing player. 
Uh, in this series, he was pretty good. I mean, it was only one game, but he had a pretty good game. You know, he had a walk, I believe. Uh, he had the sack fly to tie the game in the ninth inning. That's usually a spot where he'll try to get way ahead of himself and he'll try to be the hero and hit a grand slam. Instead, he shortened up, just hit a ball to center field, did what we needed him to do. That was huge. Um, he had a home run to right. Granted, it was kind of like a Yankee Stadium type home run, but it wasn't Cleveland. It was 350 feet at 320, uh, you know, when blowing out. But, you know, I've been begging him to hit the ball to right field all season. So him going the other way and uh, and just doing, you know, what Gary Sanchez used to do for us in the nine spot. It's a nice luxury because, uh, you know, like we said, Gardner's probably going to be in the lineup and you're probably looking at a game one lineup, the same lineup they kind of ran out there against Beaver. You're going to have LeMahieu, uh, Judge, Hicks, Voigt, Stanton, Urshela, Torres, Gardner, Sanchez. And if those guys are all at least decent, there's no real hole in that lineup. And uh, that's, that's a huge advantage for us. Yeah, so last thing I want to talk about before we move on and kind of just wrap up the rest of our talk of the first round of baseball playoff games. A big thing for you guys as well, you have a very good bullpen. Tampa Bay's bullpen is slightly better, obviously. We've talked about them plenty. Um, we've seen this Yankee team times in the past, last year against the Astros, if I'm not mistaken. They've had to really use their bullpen early, and they have terrific arms in the bullpen. You have guys who can really, you know, just shut – I know last year um, – Maybe it was Chad Green in one of the games. He came into like a bases loaded, no out situation or bases loaded, one out situation, and he got the job done. Um, I just want to know what is your bullpen strategy heading into this series, especially because, you know, Tanaka, he got unlucky with that start he had in Cleveland. Obviously, I think he ended up giving up six runs, but, you know, it was a tsunami was going on during the game. He had to sit through that. That's not good for any pitcher. Uh, there's always a chance that a guy like Happ or Tanaka is going to get knocked out early just because they're not the same dominant arm that Garrett Cole is. At the same time, you're playing against the Rays. So if you're Aaron Boone, how do you manage his bullpen going into the series? Well, you have to play matchups, uh, just like Tampa's going to play matchups against our guys. They're going to use a lot of their 98-mile-an-hour throwers to pitch to Judge, Stanton, Foyt, try to power them up and in the fastballs, uh, make them uncomfortable. That's always their strategy. They always hit our guys anyway. It doesn't always work for them. That's why the Yankees hate the Rays. That's why I can't really stand them either. So I know that's going to happen. So the Yankees are going to have to play matchups, and they're going to have to hope that they can get something out of Adovino. I mean, he's going to be really important because Boone didn't even want to go to him in game two. Um, I know he said after the game, you know, Otto was going to find himself in a big spot in the series, and that's fine to say, but he also didn't, you know, show that that was going to happen uh, in this Indian series. And when that happens – you hope that – I mean, the Rays are going to play as many matchups as they can. They're going to try to put G-Man Choi up against them. They're going to try to put Nate Lau, Brandon Lau, all these left-handed hitters, Kiermaier, because Adovino is largely ineffective against left-handed pitchers – or left-handed batters, excuse me. Uh, but against right-handed batters, they could utilize Adovino, and he could still be a pretty solid reliever for them. You know, he's got the slider, um, and when he's right, he's got command of that fastball that kind of – starts away and it cuts back over the middle of the plate uh, to righties and it's pretty effective pitching at back door and um if they can get anything out of him against the largely right-handed portion of that lineup you know when they face guys like randy or rosarena you know for example you know i mean really this is like who we're talking about the Rays, but he had a good series or hunter renfro if he comes up um or zanino you know the catchers you know these are guys who aren't really good hitters but you don't want the lefties facing him so they're going to have to get something out of him you know Loisica is going to have to throw strikes. Loisica is literally one of the nastiest pitchers I've seen in the Yankee in all form in the last five years, just with the stuff that he has. Such an easy 98, really good power for changeup. He just struggles to locate it. He was bad in that Cleveland outing. Uh, they're going to need him to be better than that. Uh, they're going to need Holder to give him something. Holder, a really good regular season, but he's also Jonathan Holder. How much can you trust him in a playoff spot? I don't know. Uh, Luis says the same deal. So uh, they're going to have to pitch these guys because there's no days off. And, 
Jay Happ's not going to go eight innings. So, you know, you're going to have to use these guys, and you can't go to Britain, Chapman, and Green every single day. You know, they're going to pitch most games. You're probably four of the five if there's five games, but it's uh, they're going to need something out of their other guys. And that's probably where – I don't want to say it's where the series is going to be won or lost because I think it's mostly going to depend if the Yankees' offense is going to hit Tampa like they hit Cleveland staff. Um, but it's going to be really important for the Yankees because I can't see these Yankee starters going further than six innings besides Colt. Final prediction before we move on. You don't need to jump into too much. We've talked about the series. How does this series finish? Well, the Yanks are going to win. Uh, I'm very confident about it now. I think the Yankees are coming out of the American League. Uh, I think they're better than Oakland. I think they're better than Houston. And I think Tampa was better this year. But I still think the Yankees, when they're whole, they're healthy, and they're clicking like they are right now, are better than Tampa Bay. Um, I think they just have the best team. They have the most talent. Uh, they've done this before in October. They haven't won. That's going to fuel them even more. Uh, but they've been in these spots. They have players who are capable of getting the job done in October. We documented Judge. We documented Torres. Um, we documented how Stanton's been a lot better lately, too. And Tanaka and Cole leading the staff with Britton and Chapman in the back end of the bullpen. You know, these are proven guys. Um, and I feel really good about that. Uh, so I think the Yankees are going to win it. I think Tampa's going to be tough. They're not going to roll over. It's not going to be a sweep. Uh, I know you said three or four. I could definitely see it going the distance to a fifth game. Um, I'll say Yankees in four, but I think a fifth game is possible. I think the Yankees have to win it. Uh, I think just losing to a small market team in your division just isn't acceptable for the Yankees with that kind of payroll. Um, not granted, Tampa was better this year, but I think the Yankees are going to win. They have to win it. Um, and then when they do win it, they're going to beat whoever comes out of that other series because I think this is, this is for all intents and purposes, the ALCS. What about you? I agree. I think that you look at those other teams, we're going to touch on them briefly. Yeah, there's not a ton to dissect just because – as we watch those series, we realize none of these teams that are left in the American League besides this ALCS, we're calling it, between the Rays and the Yankees, none of these teams are particularly good. We saw the White Sox, plenty of base-running blunders. Um, the A's, Rhea, man. Yeah, just – It cost them that series. We'll, we'll get to that. Um, the A's, they have a couple arms in the bullpen. Their starting pitching isn't really scary. I know Chris Bassett's a good arm, but besides, really nothing to worry about there, whereas, you know, the Rays-Yankees, you have weapons everywhere – um, I'm still going to take the Yankees. I think it'll probably happen in four games, if I had to guess, three or four games. Um, let's move on now. The series you wanted to talk about, you brought up before you said you were most interested in, was that series between the St. Louis Cardinals and the San Diego Padres. So, Denelson Lamette and Mike Clevenger, both not on the roster for this series and perhaps beyond. Um, I know you sent me that tweet on Wednesday, right, when the postseason was starting. And or Tuesday or Wednesday, whenever it was, and I remember we both said like, "All right, man, you know the Padres, the fun team, they're done. They lose game one, and we figure, yes, yeah, it's going to happen. Game two starts. Yadier Molina base hit to right field, just a good piece of hitting from a guy who's been in the league for seventy five years. Harrison Bader singles two nothing. Colton Long hits a home run. It's four nothing after two innings, and at that point, you figure the Padres are kind of just going to roll over and they're going to, you know, they're going to kick it right. And then you get to the sixth inning. Fernando Tatis hits the home run. Manny Machado hits the home run. You go to the seventh inning. Um, it's a tie ball game, 6-6. Will Myers hits a home run. It's 7-6. Tatis hits another home run. It's 9-6. The Cardinals start to come back. In the eighth inning, Will Myers hits another home run, a two-run shot. And, and then game finishes 11-9, and all of a sudden, we have a series on our hands. We talked about the Padres all year. They're just a fun team. They epitomize the term fun, especially in baseball. They hit home runs. They pitched well. Um, Chris Paddock got lit up, which... You know, listen, I'm not mad about that at all. I love the Padres this year, but I'm not going to uh, loose sleeve over Chris Paddock getting rocked in the postseason. Um, oh, I got to interject here. Chris go Paddock's pitching against Reese Hoskins, who you were before. Um, and Jesse Winker is fielding every ball that's being hit. 
I would, even if Angel Hernandez is behind the plate, I would just root for him. I couldn't pick. I really couldn't pick. Honestly, at that point, it would, it would have to be Jesse Winker just because it's Jesse Winker. Like, no one expects anything from him. At least Reese Hoskins had that big year uh, when he came up for like 30 games and hit like 20 home runs. And Paddock, uh, he's not concerned about the rookie of the month because he's more concerned about the rookie of the year, which uh, didn't turn out in his favor. Regardless, I'm not going to talk about my personal vendettas against players. Uh, I want you to talk a little bit about game three going on. If I'm not mistaken, we have Jack Flaherty, who's uh, who was my pick to win the NL Cy Young this year in the 60-game season. And if you're the Cardinals, regardless of what happened in the last game, you got to feel pretty good about Jack Flaherty going against whoever San Diego's throwing in game three. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Flaherty struggled this year, but he's also Jack Flaherty. He's probably a top 15 arm in the game, uh, despite kind of a down season this year. Uh, I think you always favor the team that is the better starting pitcher in an elimination game. Now, the thing the Padres have going for them is that their offense looked pretty unstoppable last night. Uh, Tatis was really into it. I think, you know, I was in the, admittedly, the first time around, I think he struck out. And I almost texted you saying, like, we're crowning this guy the face of baseball, and he's never hit. You know, this is his first time in the postseason. He's never had any big hits of, you know, of note. I was about to say that. And then and then he hits two home runs and probably the two biggest hits in the game besides maybe Machado wanted to tie it up for one of the Will Myers ones. And uh, he was just electric last night with the bad drops and, you know, getting his team fired up. I mean, the hit that he had down 6-2, three-run home runs, as big of a hit as you're going to get in the postseason complete momentum shift. Uh, he's a tremendous player. I think it's time, you know, we, we do talk about him as a superstar kind of in that same sentence, um, you know, that we talk about the top seven or eight players in the game. I think he's really approaching that level already because, you know, you talk about a complete player, his office defense got a lot better this year. He can base run. Uh, he's got a lot of flair, a lot of moxie to him, uh, power against righties and lefties. He hits the ball, makes contact. He's, you know, he's, He's just a really good overall player. Kind of how you describe the Mayhew, he can kind of play anywhere. He's just a guy who belongs on a baseball field. He probably played every position in the Little League and stuff like that. Uh, he's just – he's a really good player. And I think the Padres having him on their team today in a game three, along with Machado, who's been in elimination games before, and Hosmer, as much as we want to make fun of him, you know, he's a world champion. Uh, Will Myers is clicking for them too. They've got a lot of guys who are just dangerous. Uh, so I think it's going to be a really good game. I'm, I'm locked in on it, you know. I – most, you know, in the normal world, we'll be watching Heat Lakers tonight. But combined with Bam Adebayo being out and how game one went, I really might be watching Padres Cardinals. So um, it's going to be a really good game. I think the Padres are going to win. It's just a gut feeling. I don't even know who's pitching for them, like you said. Um, and I picked the Cardinals coming into this series. But I think the Cardinals' chance to close this series out was yesterday. And letting Tatis and Machado get this mojo going, letting them steal that game last night really ended that, I think. And, um, I think the Padres showed a lot of guts. They showed a lot more fight for a young team than other teams have. <coughs> cough, cough, twins. Um, you know, so <laughs> I think that uh, the Padres are going to end up winning tonight. I think it's going to be a real pain in the ass for LA because they're not better than the Dodgers, and they probably won't beat the Dodgers. But they're going to put some fear into them. You'd, you'd agree, right? Like they're going to at least be a headache that wins game tonight. Yeah, and you look at headaches for the Dodgers over the past couple of years. The Nationals were pretty much thought of as a headache last year just because they had that starting pitching. They had guys in the lineup that can do damage, and you see what happened. I know I referenced that a lot, but um, this Dodgers team, I, I don't really want to talk about that series against the Brewers. Whatever What happened in that series, we expected to happen, especially a team not great like the Brewers and the Dodgers, who best team in baseball this year. They pitched great. They hit great. They have Mookie Betts. You know, Cody Bellinger struggled. Corey Seager had a huge year coming back uh, after struggling the season before, coming back from Tommy John surgery. Don't need to talk about them, but um, – no, yeah, if I was the Dodgers, I'd certainly be pulling for the Cardinals tonight just because I'd much rather play them than the Padres. 
Uh, we don't want to don't need to talk about that series. Obviously, the Dodgers won that uh, pretty handedly. Want to talk about Twins Astros for a little bit? This is a series that I was. I think that first day of postseason baseball that Tuesday, I had split screen going with um, A's White Sox, and I had Twins Astros on the left side. Excuse me, and I was figuring, you know, the Twins are going to mash. The, the Twins are just going to kind of roll through this, but. Twins team, we talked about, we thought that this offense was going to carry them through 60 games. We thought they were going to win 59 games and lose one of them. You know, we, we were so high on them. And you look at some of their big names, Nelson Cruz, 992 OPS this year. Byron Buxton, guy never hit, had an 844 OPS. Josh Donaldson, 28 games, had an 842 OPS. Then you look at some of these guys we expect to hit. Mitch Garver, 511 OPS. Miguel Sano has kind of been a little bit of an anomaly. You know, he can hit a ball 500 feet, but he hasn't been that Scary same Sanchez. Miguel Sano. He is. We thought, you know, we thought Miguel Snow was going to become one of the elite power hitters. Same thing with Gary Sanchez, although he is probably the best power hitting catcher. You know, we know what's happening to Gary Sanchez. We talked about him. Jorge Polanco is six sixty eight OPS this year. Eddie Rosario is seven ninety two. Um, and you guys like Marwin Gonzalez didn't do anything this year. So, what do you make of the Twins? Uh, you know, we'll talk about the Astros after this, but uh, this is a team we had high expectations on and. 18 straight postseason losses now, if I'm not mistaken. Postseason games lost. They haven't won a single game. That's X amount of series. I don't know how the math works now, given, you know, wild cards or division series. But regardless, that's not a stat you don't want to have. In fact, I think I'd rather have not being in the postseason in 18 years and losing 18 straight postseason games. It's It seems impossible. <laughs> it really does. But then you watch them play. I've watched them play so many playoff games, like, these last few years, and it's not impossible. That's just it's their DNA. It's sad that it is, but it's just their DNA. Like, every time they come into Yankee Stadium, they look scared out of their minds. And they're playing with no fans. They're playing all the games in Target Field. And they're facing a completely depleted Astros team, an Astros team that's coming off a cheating scandal, an Astros team that has no mojo, no type of swagger that they've had in the previous years. You're not going to Minute Maid Park. You're not facing Verlander. You're not facing Cole. You're facing Granke, who's a notoriously eh postseason pitcher. You're facing not even didn't even face colors, and just a bunch of these kids, you know, Arquiti and Valdez. Uh, it, it's just for them not to be able to. That's uh, amazing. It really is, it, and it kind of speaks to one my awful prediction that the twins are going to win the world or go to the world series. I, it just shows you can never trust the Minnesota twins in a postseason setting. Um, and until they get, I think a lot more reliable bullpen arms and they get a reliable starter, uh, it's not going to happen. Now we talk about them needing to hit. I don't really know what they're going to do for their offense to make them hit. I think it might just be the uniform. Like they have so many good hitters on their team. I, you just mentioned them. Like, what do you think's missing with this team? I, I just feel like, they're com- they're completely built to win regular season baseball games. Regular season baseball games, I think basketball, you know, the NBA is the biggest case of, you know, being able to coast through a regular season. Like a guy like LeBron, especially given his age, I guess that's not a fair argument. Let's say a guy like Durant, you know, he's going to score his 25 a night, but he's not going to play 100% like he's going to in the postseason. I think in a way baseball is kind of the same. These guys can kind of just hit. The stakes aren't as high. I mean – the fans during a regular season game are laying back in their seats, eating a hot dog, drinking a beer, just kind of relaxing. The postseason, you have guys standing like that. And I think in a way, some of these Twins players aren't really battle-tested, especially if you look at their lineup. But the bottom line this year is they just didn't hit. I mean, I'm looking at the numbers again. I keep referencing OPS just because I have the split screen right now. I can't look at full stat breakdowns. Mitch Garver last year, a 995 OPS. This year, he was in the 500s. Miguel Sano last year was a 950 OPS player. This year, he was up to 757. Jorge Polanco... 
was an 850 player this year, 658. The guys just didn't hit. That was the bottom Tyler, line. These guys lost to the Yankees in three games, and it was largely not competitive last year either. And yeah. they had those numbers. And it's – it's yeah, so like you said, I mean, I'm looking at these numbers right now. I, I keep saying I reference these one stats, but, I mean, the slugging percentages in the OPS in these lineups, you have a 630, a 576, a, a 639, a 519 last year. You go this year, you look at these numbers, slugging percentages from those same guys, 478, 469, 439. They didn't hit this year. Last year they hit and they lost to the Yankees. Granted, the Yankees were a good team. This year they didn't hit. They lost to an Astros team that finished below 500. It's, I think the thing is they don't have winners. They don't have leadership in that clubhouse. You know, Nelson Cruz has been there before with the Rangers. Uh, he played fine. Certainly wasn't his fault. But, I mean, look at that lineup. You have Marlon Gonzalez. I think he won a title with the Astros that he cheated for. Um, I look at this lineup. I don't see winners. I think, like I said before, um, you look at a team like the Yankees. Sure, none of those guys besides, I think Gardner was on that World Series team in 2009. None of those guys have won anything necessarily. But at the same time, these are guys who have been here before. They're managed well. And I don't know if this is a hit on Rocco Baldelli for not getting his guys prepared. But I just, this looked like a team that had no fight. And they were probably, in terms of record, at least the second best team in the American League. Do you think, uh, I think any of this is a reflection on the manager? Because this is a guy who's getting... He's winning 100 games with the Twins in regular seasons of 162 games, and all of a sudden you go to this season and they just – that's as flat I've seen a team come out in the postseason in any sport in a long time. It might just be their philosophy. I mean, I, I don't know if it's Baldelli because before that it was Paul Molitor and they lost to the Yankees. Uh, you know, they've had a bunch of managers, Ron Garden hired to. They've had a bunch of these guys, and these are – largely good managers. I mean, I think Baldelli's a good manager. I don't think he's necessarily a top five manager in the league. He's not like Terry Francona level, but he's pretty good. Like, you know, you're talking Rocco Baldelli or Dave Roberts. Like, is there that big of a difference? Like, I, I don't know. Or Aaron Boone, is there that big of a difference? Like, I mean, maybe. But at the same time, they just don't win in the playoffs. I, they, it's really hard for me to identify what's wrong with them because – They've tried you – know, they used. They had Johan Santana. They had a big arm at one point to go up in game ones and pitch for them. They've had big bullpens. They had Joe Nathan, you know, and he choked games. You know, A-Rod, famously 2009 game two, 3-1 uh, twins, and then the bottom of the ninth inning, A-Rod, it's a two-run home run off him. The guy hadn't, like, blown save all year. Um, their offense never really replicates what they do in the regular season in playoff games, but at the same time, they have hitters who you think would be capable of doing that, like Nelson Cruz. And they didn't have Donaldson in the series. I'll give them a little bit of a break for that because uh, I think he would have been important for them too. Like I mentioned previously, you know, thinking that he would be playing, thinking they might go to the World Series. Um, but it's really just – it kind of just runs deep through the organization. It's just something in their blood. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know how they fix it. If it's a culture change, I mean, it's not like they're some inept franchise. You know, they're winning 90 games uh, and they're making the postseason. I think they made it four times in the past 10 years. Like, it's not like this team's been a pushover. Uh, they just haven't really been able to get over the hump. They've had good players. They've had Joe Maurer. They've had Morneau. Uh, they, they've had Brian Dozier in his prime. You know, they've had good players on that team and they just have not been able to put it together for whatever reason. They're, they're frustrating. But you got to give credit to Houston, I guess. You know, they won two games on the road. Um, they pitched well. Correa got a couple big hits, made a couple big plays in the field. Um, they have championship DNA, uh, whether it's you know warranted or not, uh, they do have it, and uh, they're going to be tough for the A's. Um, I think the A's will probably win. I don't know if I'm. I, I don't know, man. I really don't. Uh, do you have a do, do you have a favorite in that series right now? Because I honestly have no read on it. I don't either. We're going to talk about the A's White Sox in a second. I don't think any of these teams are very good. You took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say, got to give credit to Houston. We know they're not cheating this year. Um, 
it's kind of amazing that, you know, they're in the playoffs. They're another product of the format. Regardless, they're there. You got to play the teams in front of you. The Twins certainly didn't show up, and the Astros took advantage. Uh, those series, I know a lot of those games were 0-0 heading into the late innings, and Correa had a couple big hits. Brantley had a big hit in game two, I want to say. Um, it's amazing to me that the Astros even did that just because as flat as the Twins were, I mean, you talk about aggression. You look at Springer, Bregman, Altuve, Correa. I mean, these are Correa's been beat up a lot, but those are three or four of the best, you know, 15 to 20 hitters in the American League prior to this whole scandal, you know, when they were putting up these elite numbers when Bregman, you know, he was, I think like second or third MVP voting last year, Altuve won it in 2017 over judge, which he, you know, uh, I'm sure you have feelings on, I have feelings on similarly. Um, yes, these awesome. are, these are, I think Springer posts like a seven, OP, uh, excuse me, it's like seven war last year. I mean, these are all phenomenal hitters who all of a sudden just regressed. And the fact that they're playing an American league division series is wild. I think it's a good time now to transition into that series. So, they're facing the A's. The A's won in three games yesterday in a very weird series, if we're being honest. Um, that game one, the uh, the White Sox offense had some big hits. That game two, um, you said they just used a bunch of their arms. The A's ended up winning. And then in game three, uh, we had a little bit of back and forth going. Abreu hit a double off the wall in the first inning. Uh, Luis Robert hit a ball to San Diego. I mean, he destroyed that baseball early in that game. And then from there, it was just, it was just beyond weird. Speaking on the Astros... I'm going to take the A's just because I think they're a little bit more of a complete team right now. Um, don't cut out the Astros. Zach Granke, he was described as crafty on the broadcast in game one, which is the best way to describe him. I mean, the guy's been, you know, one of the better arms, you know, one of the best arms in, in the game for a long time now. Doesn't throw hard. He's got really slow off-speed stuff that just tricks hitters. He's just a smart pitcher. He's a good guy. So um, any any series that Zach Granke's pitching in, you got to expect they're going to compete. I would still take the A's in this series, but um, – Regardless of that series, let's talk a little bit about uh, A's White Sox before we move on to the rest of our stuff because we're just trucking through this episode. We're at least at an hour right now. Okay, so at the time of recording this, top of the eighth right now. Miami is up 2 nothing now on the Chicago Cubs with the runner on first and nobody out. So they, f- they flashed the win probability 20 minutes ago. I think at the time going up 2 nothing, Miami had a 76% chance of winning. Obviously, that doesn't mean anything in baseball, whatever. But I uh, figured we would update you guys on that um, if you're listening right now. No, why don't you talk a little bit more about the Astros and the A's slash White Sox before we move on? Well, first of all, on the Astros, can Correa shut up? <laughs> I mean, really, can Correa shut up? Can we not hear him talk about, that? Oh, we won the series on the road and we're this big team and you can't say anything now? Like, It's not the time to talk up to you being a team that's lost 18 straight playoff games. It's just not the time to talk. Like, If they win the ALDS against the A's and they take the Yankees or the Rays to a seventh game or if they come out of the American League, then by all means talk. But – after you beat two, if you win two games against the Twins, do we really need to hear you talk when you beat like no big pitchers and you beat an offense that's pretty much inept when it comes to October baseball? Like, I, I mean, it, nobody wants to hear it. I agree. I, I saw that quote, and he was the guy who said, I think right when the cheating scandal broke, uh, you know, it made all the headlines. He was saying something about – he acknowledged that they cheated or whatever, but he was like, you know, he said, like, you guys got to shut your mouth. You don't know shit, whatever. Like, he was being an asshole about it. Altuve was doing the same stuff. And it's not like the Astros won 40 games this year. They didn't go 40-20. and 20. No one had an MVP caliber season. In fact, all their hitters sucked this year for the most part. They, I guess they got lucky that they played a really bad Twins team. A good a good Twins team, but obviously they played terribly. And uh, Correa is acting like they won both games 12 nothing. They knocked out the starting pitchers in the first inning, and they're this freight train that's rolling downhill. I mean, they're again, they're a team below 500. 
Um, they were lucky. They're lucky. They have a great pitcher in Zach Granke who just threw up zeros in that first game. So I, unfortunately for the Astros, just the way seeding works, they're not matching up against the Yankees or the Rays. They're playing against the next weakest team in the American league playoff picture right now, who is, who are the Oakland A's, I should say, uh, no disrespect to them. We just know in terms of the way they play baseball, the roster construction right now, they're not better than the Rays. They're certainly not better than the Yankees. So a little bit for, of good fortune for the cheating Astros. Give credit to Dusty Baker. You know, he came in, had an incredibly tough situation on his hands, had him manage a 60 game season during, you know, this coronavirus pandemic. We don't know if we were going to play. And, I guess he, he didn't get these guys to win because they weren't a winning team this year, but uh, went on the road and beat a good team in the American League, so credit there. Uh, why don't you quickly talk about uh, A's White Sox if you have any talking points. I really don't have much. I kind of got it before. Well, I'll start on the positive note. Uh, Billy Bean, give credit to him. His team finally won a playoff series. It really hasn't happened in the 21st century. Uh, so credit to them. You know, they needed to win, in my opinion, yesterday for their franchise. Just the morale of that team. They've lost so many big games in their franchise. And for them to be able to get over that hump a little bit yesterday, they're down 3 nothing in the fourth inning. They kind of look shot. Uh, Sean Murphy, uh, nobody knows who Sean Murphy is. We'll listen to this, I'm sure. I know him Sean from Murphy American League West Showdown and MLB The Show, so you're lying, but keep going. <laughs> so, yeah, he hits a two-run over run. And uh, then they end up tying the game, going ahead. Uh, White Sox fought back a little bit, but A's bullpen held them down. Liam Hendricks pitched great. Uh, Soria did a good job for them in the eighth inning, too. Um, they've got a good bullpen, Trevino. Uh, they've got, you know, a good manager for all intents and purposes and Bob Melvin. Uh, some decent players. Uh, they don't have their superstar in Chapman, but Simeon's a pretty good player. Olsen's still a pretty good player. Uh, Loriano, you know, guys like that. They, they do enough. They're resourceful enough to compete in a lot of games. They play good defense, and uh, they needed to win that game. As far as the White Sox go, I think they actually have more talent than Oakland does. I think that McRenteria cost them uh, a lot of, you know, he kind of took away from their talent a little bit by burning so many arms in game two. Uh, Keiko was bad. He can't control that. But uh, it pretty much got to the point yesterday with the White Sox where they had nobody to go to in the fifth inning. Uh, Carlos Rodon looked pretty much shot. Uh, their starter was not throwing the ball that great. He had a, you know, he got through the order the first time pretty well, Dunning. Um, but the second time, this stuff just wasn't as effective. And that's kind of what you'd expect. Um, in terms of their offense, they have a lot of swing and miss. We knew that going in. Um, you know, they hit home runs. Robert finally connected for one, uh, and that was a bomb. And, you know, he looks like he's going to be a big-time power hitter. They didn't have Jimenez. You want to give him a break there. Um, so Giolito was really good. Uh, that was a big story. We should mention Giolito in his first playoff game was nasty in game one. Uh, sole reason they won that game. Uh, and they obviously were 13-0 against left-handed starters coming into that series. Uh, so Oakland throwing the left-handed starter was kind of like, hey, take game one. You know, let's see if we can come back from being down 1-0. We're just going to give you a head start. Uh, and that's what exactly what they did. But the White Sox, uh, give them credit in a lot of ways because they're a young team and they're going to be back and they needed to get their feet wet in the postseason. Uh, and they made it competitive. They took Oakland down to the ninth inning, you know, put the tying run on the plate. Uh, and you give them credit in terms of that. I think they could have won the series just based on sure talent or sure talent. Uh, their manager, unfortunately, is not managed in big time spots and was probably the last manager I would trust uh, to win the game in a big time spot. And that was ultimately their downfall uh, that in the starting pitching, um, you know, in games two and three. But uh, at the same time, you got to give credit to Oakland. They deserve to win the series. I think they're a better team. Um, in terms of just like fundamentally and, you know, they have a better manager. They've been in postseason games more than the White Sox have. I think that just the experience fact that they should have won that game uh, in that series. So now you have Oakland and Houston and uh, I really have no idea what to make of the series because Houston's not that good, but they also have playoff pedigree. 
Oakland's probably a better team, but they don't have playoff pedigree. So it's going to be weird. I mean, I think we both agree that those are the third and fourth best teams in the American League. If that, uh, they're not as good as Tampa or the Yankees. That's why I almost wish we would just get Tampa Yankees for seven games rather than five. Uh, but MLB didn't recede for whatever the reason. So uh, we could be stuck with that. But at the same time, you know, it should be pretty even given that we don't really have a good read on the series usually means it's going to be a five game series and it's going to be pretty hard fought. So uh, we'll look forward to that. And, uh, Cubs just got a big double play. You see that? I was just going to say, nice backhand stop by Javi Baez. It was a bullet off the bat of Aguilar also. So um, I was just going to say, we're going to wrap up our you know our playoff in-depth discussions. I think Noah has some talking points we'll get to in a second involving the playoffs. But um, as of right now, we have Yankees-Tampa. We have Astros-A's. We have um, the Padres and Cardinals are playing in game three tonight. The winner will take on the Dodgers. We have, um, uh, excuse me, the Atlanta Braves are awaiting the winner of the Chicago Cubs-Miami game. It looks like Miami's going to win this series and go on and take uh, Atlanta in that National League Division Series. Real quick, does the bubble start in the Division Series? Yeah, so the Yankees will be in Petco Park um, against the Rays. And the other AL series is in L.A. And then I think the NL series are played in Minute Maid Park and the new stadium in Burlington. Right, right. yes. Yeah. So uh, it's going to have a different feel. Everything's had a different feel. So uh, 2020 keeps bringing on the weirdness, especially in this MLB season. So we just – I mean, we just really killed this in-depth playoff look. We're going to do this at least a couple times a week once these series start to take shape. I guess in five-game series it'll take a little longer to see what happens. But uh, Dude, honestly, I might, I might be just recording myself talking about the Yankees after every game next week just yeah, so I can talk. A daily podcast. Um, anyway, let's move in. I think you had some talking points you wrote down in your notebook, so let's just get right into those. Yeah, I mean, it was like our new segment, Buy or Sell. I wanted to do that. But at the same time, we kind of touched on a lot of these topics already. So I'm just going to read off like two of them, and we'll, we'll talk about it. It's the ones that we didn't really be, you know, uh, get to too much during the episodes. The first one was Clayton Kershaw. He scored innings last night. Are we buying that he could get on a playoff-type run this year, carry the Dodgers to a World Series, uh, be their ace, and kind of get rid of the narrative that he can't pitch in a big game and kind of having that – legacy flip uh this year would you buy that i say yes but i'm not gonna say based on the fact that he pitched really well against this milwaukee brewers team just because you know Mm -hmm. if you give me prior to my thoracic outlet syndrome i'm probably gonna shut down this brewers team especially with yelich not playing well this year uh my 74 mile per hour fastball and my 12 6 curveball that i've been throwing since i was 10 years old i think that that would really play especially against that jerko out with that yeah, sitting third for them last night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. Um, I mean, really, I'm I'm gonna buy it, and that's a little bit risky of me, just because Kershaw. You know, anyone who's listening to this podcast, not an extremely casual fan, they know what Kershaw's done in the postseason. Um, I'm not gonna disrespect him. He's the greatest pitcher of our generation. Um, he, you know, the past couple of years, he's missed a lot of time with injuries and stuff. And he comes back this year, and he just pitched really well for the Dodgers. Uh, very easy for him, considering you know no one's around. He's got to focus on himself. A two one six ERA this year in ten games, which is just phenomenal. I mean, you look at Kershaw's numbers from 2011 to 2014: So you look if you're looking at it by numbers, this is the best version of Kershaw we've seen since you know 2015. And I think now that he had this time to focus on himself, get himself healthy, and just focus on baseball, I think that's gonna help him out a ton. And for a guy who's got such a decorated career as Kershaw, you know, pitching in the postseason in front of 30, 40,000 people, road ballparks, even at home when he knows the pressure's on, 
that aspect of the game is really going to, you know, he's not going to have to worry about that. He's going to worry about his matchups. You know, I'm sure Kershaw knows matchups better than anybody he's pitched since 2008. So um, I'm going to buy that, you know, again, might be risky just because we know that he's never done into the postseason, but uh, I'm definitely going to buy it. And I think his big thing is he's not one of those guys where in the postseason he'll go two and two thirds, give up seven runs. He's mostly very effective. And then he just gets into trouble in the sixth or seventh inning, you know, walks a guy, blue base hit, and then all of a sudden three on home run and Kershaw's starters ruined, something like that. So um, I think if he just focuses in on every pitch, it's a cliche thing to say, but I really do think that I'm going to buy this. And I think that Kershaw is going to be a huge part for them moving on. I agree. Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, not having the fans, that's a great point, and I think that's really important too. So we're going to stay there on this topic a little bit. Uh, well, this is a buy or sell slash question. I'm going to combine them into two. We've already kind of touched on this, so we don't really need to get into it too much, but Clint Frazier's nose ring uh, on Twitter sent us a question saying, what team has the best shot at the NL other than the Dodgers from what you've seen so far? Uh, so I'm just going to say I think Atlanta, uh, I like San Diego. They can really hit. They've got a lot of mojo. I think they'll be a headache, like we said, for the Dodgers. But I think Atlanta, just with the one through nine they have and them being able to beat two really good arms in Cincinnati, they're going to have to face those types of arms with Kershaw, this version of Kershaw, and Walker Buehler too, even though he only went four innings with the, the blister problem. Um I think Atlanta is well-equipped to beat guys like those guys because, you know, you have a big lefty bat in Freeman. You've got a big righty bat in Azuna. Obviously, Acuna is one of the best 10 players in the NL. Uh, Albies is still Albies. Swanson is still Swanson. So, you know, they've still got pieces. Darno's hit from them a little bit too. Uh, you know, the bottom of the order, <laughs> you're shaking your head as I say that, obviously. But, um, you know, they've got – They've got a really strong team top to bottom. Uh, like you said, the one worry with them is their staff. Uh, is their bullpen going to be able to replicate what they did in the Cincinnati series? Was that a product of their bullpen or was that a product of the Cincinnati offense? And also beyond free, do they have enough starting pitching to get by? But um, I think the Braves are probably the biggest challenge to the Dodgers. Yeah, so definitely the Braves, no argument there. Thing with San Diego is we've seen this in the postseason all the time with teams, you know, every season it seems to happen. Um, the thing with San Diego is I think this game three, obviously it's going to decide whether they go home or whether they go to the bubble. But I think if they, you know, kind of smack up St. Louis and they have the momentum going, this is a San Diego team that's just built on momentum. I mean, they hit Tatis hits that grand slam. The Rangers get mad at him. Then they hit what three or four grand slams in the next three or four games, something like that. Um, I think if the Padres can win in a big way, I think that'll translate over into the National League Division Series. And then once you get that Padres team hot, I mean, that's a team that doesn't stop, especially that offense. So I think the biggest thing for the Padres, they'd be the next biggest threat for me. I would say if they can, you know, have a big game against St. Louis tonight, and I think if they start to roll and that offense continues, I'd say they're just about as dangerous. But like you said, the Braves have the roster. They're pretty much – I think the Padres have better potential in terms of just, you know, like the roles they get on. But you look at every facet of that Braves roster, they're one of the top three or four uh, lineups in baseball, very good bullpen and the starting pitching. We know what happened, obviously, but um, you can't argue about the Braves, but I really like what this Padres team is doing right now. So let's move on. Um, my next topic point, this one's really just for me uh, to kind of, this is also for a clickbait title. Uh, is there any player other than Mike Trout that you'd rather have position player on your team than Aaron Judge in a postseason setting? Um, uh, my, my title on this episode is going to be Aaron Judge or Fernando Tatis Jr. question mark. So that's kind of what this question is uh, is driving. I would take. Uh, oh, sorry, or not, I'm taking Judge. Yeah, I would. Uh, 
I would take Judge right now too, just because we've seen Tatis have probably seven right at-bats so far, and it's too early to tell. If you're looking at just production and whatever, I think Judge is probably third or fourth best player in baseball. Mike Trout won, probably a guy like Mookie Betts too, and that's honestly based on health. You give Judge healthy, he's probably number two right there. Um, I would take Judge over Tatis. Uh, obviously, right now that's the uh, that's that's the pick you have to make, just because Tatis has played in two postseason games. Judge has played in at least you know seven or eight postseason games since 2017. Uh, 29 postseason games for Judge. Yep. So I, I didn't mean seven or eight games total. I meant seven or eight games like each season at least. So that oh, averages yeah, out to about yeah. 25, 30 games. No, I was um, just gonna I was just gonna say his numbers. He's got an 894 OPS in the playoffs. This is against elite pitching. Nine home runs in 29 games, and he's already tied Reggie Jackson in in franchise history with home runs in playoffs. I mean, if he plays ten more posts or ten more years, and he gets seven more postseasons, he's probably going to be top five in all postseason statistics for the franchise, like up there with the likes of Jeter. And that's kind of how Yankee fans like speak of him and see him like in that light. And like even our friend Jack Lucas of the pod, he called me the other day and he's like, "Don't repeat this, man." So sorry, I'm exposing him a little bit, but he's a Red Sox fan. He said, "Don't repeat this," but. Aaron Judge just always comes up. Like it's hard, it comes up in big spots. It's hard not to like him. And um, you know, in the playoffs, when the I mean, this is what's frustrating with me with Trout is I want to see Trout in these spots so much because I think this is really where you see where you see stars and superstars. And when Judge is healthy, he just has that ability to take over the game and really just settle the series. I mean, I think that hit that he had in Game One was the biggest hit of the series. It really set the tone off the Cy Young Award winner this year. It just it's hard not to appreciate how good he is great he is in these big spots yeah i can't deny that we talk about judge all the time probably second best player in baseball when he's healthy when he's producing when he has that 2017 level of production and even last year i think he played in you know like 100 110 like 110 120 games and he was vastly outperforming the uh i don't know glaber torres playing like 140 150 games and everything judge did was at a higher clip than glaber torres who was your second or third best hitter you get this guy playing, he's going to play at a superstar level. There's no denying that. Mookie Betts is the only other guy I would talk about. You know, he's got his World Series. He's one of those guys who, with his speed, he gets a base hit that almost turns into a double, uh, you know, just because he could steal a base, he could run. Uh, he plays good outfield. He can play different positions. Um, I would say besides Aaron Judge, my other guy would be Mookie Betts in this postseason. Um, maybe last year I would have said George Springer and Bregman would be in that conversation. Obviously not now. So, yeah, Judge and Mookie are definitely my two picks. Uh, and here's my other Yankees buy or sell question. Buy or sell, and I'm not saying I buy this, I'd probably sell it. Buy or sell, Gio Urshela is the third most important Yankee position player. So I've judged one and LeMahieu too. I don't think anybody's going to argue those two guys. Is he the third most important position player? Who, and if not, who is it? That's actually, I mean, keep in mind, you got Stanton, you got Torres, you got Voigt. That's a very good question. But it's like Urshela's done for this team. It's hard to, it's hard to deny. Yeah, and especially, you know, in the postseason when your pitchers are under pressure and stuff like that, you have a glove like Gio Rochelle at third base. It's undeniable that his impact is just tremendous for this team. That play he made in game two special, grand slam he hit. Luke Voigt's the other guy just because um, a part of the reason that Yankees offense succeeded when other guys were hurt is that Luke Voigt hit, what, 23, 24 home runs, something like that. Yeah, they're 23. Something like that's ridiculous. Um in terms of like just a pure bat, you know, Luke Voigt, you can't argue how good he's been this year, but I would say Jurashella just because the production he gives on both sides of the ball, not to say that Luke Voigt's, you know, an absolute black hole over at first base, but um, Jurashella I would have to take. I think that's a good point. Who would, do you have any other idea in mind? Um, right now, I really want to say Stanton just because of how locked in he kind of looks at the plate, but 
I mean, Claver Torres, like, I, I think I might take him. Like, last year in the playoffs, like, I like Urshela, the way he dominated game two, nobody's dominated a playoff game for the Yankees since Torres did that last year in game one against the Astros, and nobody had done that, like, in a long time for the Yankees. Like, A-Rod 2009 stuff, like, where he just takes over the game and you're saying, what happened in the game last night? Oh, Claver Torres won it. Like, that's kind of how it was last year. And Torres just has a different level of focus, I feel like, in the postseason than he has in the regular season. You know, he talked about just wanting to get hits and put up his numbers in the regular season and kind of go out there and have fun. He swings a lot early in the count. He's not as focused on getting the job done. And maybe that's a knock on him. You know, he's not as mentally uh, focused and strong as maybe all the other elite young stars in the game. But when it comes down to the postseason, I mean, this guy, 350, 426, 633 in 16 playoff games, four for four in the game the other night, and he hits a home run. And he only hit three home runs all regular season. He had 240. So it's really like, it's kind of crazy. Like when these Yankees players like really focus and it feels like they care how locked in they can get. And um, now granted having an off on off switch isn't necessarily a good thing. I think the Clippers had an on off switch this year in basketball and that ended up costing them in the end. Uh, so I'm not saying that's a good thing, but uh, when Torres is going right, it's just, you know, and he's hitting in the seventh spot and he's putting up four for four, you know, it's really tough to stop the Yankees. And um, so I'll say Torres, but man, Urshela, Stanton, Voigt, you can make arguments for all those guys. And I think that just, again, speaks to the team. And I've been, you know, really, really positive, maybe not as positive as I should be with the Yankees this episode, but when they've got these nine guys in the lineup and they can roll like this, it's hard to see a team that's better than them. I think the only one you can argue is LA. Yeah, and one more point about Glaber Torres. He didn't have a good regular season this year. I mean, he was like no. a 750 OPS guy. You get into the postseason, though, and that's different all of a sudden. The numbers you laid out, you can't argue that. Uh, he, he's just important because this is a Yankees offense that I think the numbers I ran by before, if you look at them, um, you have LA up there, you have Atlanta up there, you have the Mets up there. The Yankees' third or fourth best offense in baseball. They could easily be the number one offense if you have a guy uh, like Glaber Torres who hits the way Glaber Torres should hit. So uh, definitely a fair point there. Why don't you move on to the uh, next talking point? Um, well, honestly, my last two are just about the Padres and about if we think the ALCS is like the, uh, ALDS is like the ALCS with the Yanks and Rays. I think we already hit on those. I did have a question from my guy, Ariel, uh, who asked us a lot of questions on the pod. He asked who I think, or we think is the best pitcher left in the playoffs. I think this was just kind of like him throwing me a lob to talk about Garrett Cole. Uh, <laughs> but, um, I'll let you start. Who do you think the best uh, pitcher is left in the playoffs? Best pitcher left in the playoffs. And think about the uh, matchups real quick. You know what? I'm going to tie this into our last question. I'm going to go with Clayton Kershaw. And I just yeah, think over Garrett Cole. I well, no, no, no. Okay, okay. I'm going to slow it down here. Um, I'm, I would take Garrett Cole over anybody. I was just assuming because you said first of all, Ariel, thank you for the question. Um, second of all, you already said you kind of thought it was a way of him just for you to talk about Garrett Cole. So, not talking about Garrett Cole. I'm going to go with Clayton Kershaw. We talked about him before. If you missed that. Press the uh, 15, 30-second rewind button probably four or five times when you hear us talk about Clayton Kershaw. Uh, this is the year for him, man. Pitched phenomenally this year, 216 ERA. Uh, you figured a guy with those 94 miles per hour and his other pitches a curveball, you figured you could hit him. But when your curveball starts you know, in center field and ends up dropping right at the catcher's glove, there's nothing you can do about that. Uh, I really like Clayton Kershaw this year. And as a guy who's just been enamored by him, who's been enamored by National League pitchers over the years, DeGrom, Scherzer, Kershaw, um, this is the year I'm really pulling for him, and this is a Dodgers team I enjoy watching. So I'm going to go with him, especially with his experience or his lack of experience technically considering how he's pitched. Yeah, so I'm going to go Jay Happ. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> I would, dude, I actually – I genuinely believed you right there. Oh, my goodness. 
after all the Yankee hyperbole I've probably given you today, or uh, Yankee propaganda, maybe you would believe it. But um, uh, Sixto Sanchez, can I pick him? Yes, go for it. <laughs> uh, I'll pick Bueller if he's right. If uh, if not, this is actually we're saying Cole's the best, but like after Cole, I'll pick Bueller if he's right. Uh, if he's not right, I'll probably take Snell. Uh, just because he won a Cy Young in 2018 and he dominated Toronto the other day. Uh, and also I want to have some good karma for this series. So I'm going to say Snell, <laughs> um, but I think you can take like a lot of different guys. I mean, like Kershaw, you can make a good case for him. You just did. Uh, and there's a lot of good arms like Ranky even too, if you want to go in that direction. Um, that, you know, Max Freed even maybe if you want to argue him, you know, he had a really good year. You can maybe make an argument. He's one of the better ones. Um, if, St. Louis advances, Jack Flaherty is an option. If the Cubs find a way to come out of this game with a win and they end up advancing, you can talk about Darvish or Hendricks too. Uh, there's a lot of good pitchers left. Um, I think Cole's the consensus number one guy because, you know, when we talk about the three best pitchers in the league, uh, it's DeGrom, Scherzer, and Cole. And DeGrom and Scherzer aren't in the playoffs, so I, I think, you know, you look to get Cole there. And then after that, you can kind of pick and choose. You know, we probably thought Bieber coming in um, or Bauer, and now those guys are out. Uh, so, you know, we'll have to see. That's a good question. Thank you, Ariel, for that. Uh, the last thing that I want to run through is just our poll uh, things. So we'll just say if we agree with them or not. We don't have to spend too much time on it, but we put on, we put eight questions out today. Uh, so number one was what team has impressed you the most so far? Uh, 64% of people said the Yanks, 27% said the Astros, 9% said Dodgers. Um, I think we both agree it's probably the Yanks. If you have another team that's impressed you, you can talk about them quickly. But um, if not, then we can just move on. I'll just say Miami just because, I mean, look, man, they won game one. They're up 2 nothing in the top of the ninth right now. Um, they've been producing. Their thing is they're not going to outscore teams by 5-10 runs because of home runs and doubles and, you know, whatever. They're, they're a team that's playing baseball the right way. I've talked about that before. Um, you got to give credit where credit's due, man. This is a pretty good Chicago team this year, especially with the pitchers they've thrown out. Uh, you don't – in the postseason, look, you don't have to hit five – you know, you don't have to put up five runs against you, Darvish, to beat a team like that. If you pitch, if your bullpen and Sixto Sanchez pitches the way he does – you're going to win baseball games, and that's what they're doing right now. So uh, Miami's really impressive to me because I figured they'd get to the postseason, and I thought the Cubs were going to beat them in two games. So I'll take them. Absolutely. That's a good one. I probably should have put that as our fourth team instead of putting other. Um, number two, what team has been the biggest disappointment? So it was Reds and Twins and Indians were options, and the Reds got 64%. Twins got 36 Nobody else got any votes. So uh, for me, it's it's the Twins, not the Reds. The Reds, granted, their offense is terrible, um, and, you know, they – we expected more with their starting pitching, you know, to be able to at least win a game in the series. But the Twins just – they should have won. There's just no excuse for them. I think that they have to be the biggest disappointment. Yeah, Cincinnati real quick. The thing about them is we knew their starting pitching was going to be good. Bauer, seven, two-thirds innings, 12 Ks. Luis Castillo goes five and a third with, I think, an earned run and six or seven strikeouts. So their starting pitching certainly held up their end of the bargain. And it was just that offense, man. I mean, I talked about the beginning of the year. Nick Castellanos, Moustakis was a professional hitter. He has a ring. He's been on playoff teams. Uh, Nick Senzel, these kind of guys. We figured Joey Votto would come back, but he's kind of just got a dead bat now, which is sad to see because he was like the ultimate OBP guy for a while in the you know in the last decade. Um, they're disappointing, but no doubt that the Twins are going to be the ones who are going home, you know, the most upset about their postseason exit. Yeah, exactly. 100%. So our uh, next question was, do you like this playoff format? Yes or no? Right now we're 55% no, 45% yes. So pretty pretty split through the middle. Um, 
I'll start by saying I like it for this season. I do not like it going forward. I think it takes away from the integrity of a regular season. And if you're going to play 162 games, you can't have 60 teams get in because then that just makes watching those games stupid. You know, if your team's halfway decent, you're going to get in and there's no reason to get riled up over any type of game in mid-June or, or you know, early May and watch a game, you know, or go to spend money to go to a game. I think it's just uh, – it takes away from the integrity of it, but I do like it in the season 60 game setting, give as many teams as possible a chance, give us a postseason, which has a March madness feel and, uh, and let us have fun with it. I have no objections. Let's just go to the next one. I don't like it either this year. It's fine, but I don't want to see it again. Uh, number four, what series do you want to see more Dodgers versus Padres or Dodgers versus Cardinals? To no surprise, Dodgers versus Padres, 91%, and the Cardinals only at 9%. I think we agree with that. Um, we want to see Tatis and Machado play as much as we can. I think we think that the Padres know the Dodgers a little bit better, and they have a higher ceiling if they get rolling. Um, but, yeah, if you have any other objections, go ahead and say them. If not, we'll move on. I'll just put in my two cents. I think Dodgers, Padres, a little bit of a – maybe a bit of a hot – not a hot take necessarily, but – that could be one of the best postseason series we've seen in a while. I know San Diego doesn't have their two arms. Now imagine that series if Clevenger and um, Lamed pitched. I mean, it could really be one of the most electric series we've seen in a long time. Star power in Los Angeles, star power in San Diego, uh, two of the most exciting players in baseball. Uh, another former Dodger who lost a chance of getting his ring in uh, 2018, 2017, whatever. Regardless, uh, yeah, no, totally looking forward to Dodgers Padres if it happens. Yeah, number five, what's your prediction for the Yanks Rays series? Uh, 72% Yanks win, 28% Rays win. So um, nothing too much to take away from that. I think we both agree. We both said Yanks in four, maybe five. Um, so we'll just move on from that. What's your prediction for the Athletics Astros series? Uh, we had 54% Astros, 46% A's. Um, I'll say Astros in five. I hate how we always agree in this podcast, but I agree also. I was going to say – wait, did you say Astros or A's? Astros. Oh, okay. I was going to say A's and five, so never mind. I'm confusing myself. Um, yeah, so maybe we don't agree in this podcast all the time. I'll take A's and five. I, I think this series might be a shit fest. Both teams are kind of just, you know, whatever. The A's are a good team, not a great team. The Astros, probably not even a good team. But, um, yeah, I'll take A's and five. See, the reason I say that is because if the Yankees win, like I'm saying, I know the Astros are going to win because I know we're just going to have to play them for some reason. Just in order to get to a World Series, we have to play them. It's just always how it goes. Um, but if the Rays win, it's going to be A's, Rays, and nobody's going to watch. Yeah. My, uh, if, I were, if I were Boone, or if I was Boone, and we came up against the Astros and the ALCS, my message would be don't chirp, don't throw out guys. I would literally just try to win every game by 15 runs. Mm-hmm. I would just be like, just be professional about it, but just fucking hit bombs. Like, just Show destroy baseball. Yeah, 100%. Right. Um, what NL team is the biggest threat to beat the Dodgers is kind of the question that we had earlier. 16 votes on this one. 44% said Braves. 44% said the Padres Cardinals winner, which I'm taking is just the Padres. Um, and then 6% said the Marlins slash Cubs winner, which is going to be the Marlins. Um, we both said Atlanta. I don't think we really need to touch on this, but that's just what the viewers think. And then our last one was the most impressive playoff performance thus far. Yankees destroying Beaver was at 69%. It's a nice uh, Trevor Bowers 12 strikeout game was at 19%. And then Fernando Tatis Jr.'s two home run, five RBI game two was at 13%. Uh, for me, I'm going to go with Bauer as much as I loved watching the Yankees destroy Beaver because Bauer completely shut them down and he was just making them look silly. And um, I think that just shows how great pitching can be, great hitting. Uh, it's unfortunate his team didn't help him out. But I think Bowers was the most important slash most important impressive individual performance i like that as well um the tatis thing is awesome just 
from the perspective of a pure baseball fan, seeing our, you know, the youngest star in our game do what he did, especially in big situations. It's not like they were up four nothing and he hit a home run to, you know, enhance their lead. So I like the Tatis one. Bieber, you expected he was going to get hit eventually, not to take away from what the Yankees did, professional performance. So uh, I'm going to go with Tatis. This might be one of our longest, if not our longest, episode we've recorded in a long time, and rightfully so, just because of the amount of content we've had to talk about. I mean, so many postseason series in the National League, American League. That's definitely not going to stop as soon as we figure out what happens in the rest of these wild card games with the Padres, the Cardinals, and then this Miami series. Um, we'll update you guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you're here, we appreciate it. Shout out to Clint Frazier's Nose Ring. I think that's his username on Twitter. Great name. Um, Hayward doubles down the line. Runner on second for the Cubs in the uh, bottom of the ninth. This won't matter when you guys are listening. Ariel, our boy Ariel, thank you for sending us a question. Uh, Joe Kelly's stand club, we're a little bit concerned you didn't ask us a question this episode, so uh, we want to make sure you're okay. Please tweet us, like our tweets, send us a uh, send us a question on the next episode. Appreciate you guys listening. As always, if you want to interact with us, I'm at T Smith Sports. Noah is at Noah Broderick 20. The account is at BATV Pod. Plenty of coverage for the rest of the postseason and the offseason coming up. So stick with us. We appreciate you guys. See you. Go Heat.